This is Colossus, and you are listening to The High Regard Show. The High Regard Show. It's... The most meaningful day of your life was a simulation operating at minimum capacity. Check out The High Regard Show. New episodes every Monday. Hey everybody, I'm Tom. And I'm Nikki. And this is the High Regard Show. In which we talk about things we hold in high regard. Very high. High above Harlem. Way up on the third floor. Moving on up. Oh, it don't get better than that. No, sir, it doesn't. Well, 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 look who returned after a week off. And look who just got schooled in microphone positioning again. Again, uh... Again with you and the Again, microphone. No. How do you not know it? Because We're almost 100 shows in. I can't be constrained to just a tiny little window of a spot on a microphone, Tom. I'm too much of an artist. An artist. Is that it? Is that it? You just paint in broad strokes all over your <laughs> microphone is what it comes down to. I can't like, you know, worry about these minute details about talking into the microphone as opposed to over it, under it, next to it. It is what it is, and you're just going to have to deal, boyo. I completely understand, and I accept the fact that I'm just going to have to deal because every week I will still have to remind you <laughs> have to use the microphone. Well, you know, we all have our little idiosyncrasies. Do we or do we not? We do, but you think after a while you learn them. However. I guess that's not what the show is about this week. <laughs> that is not what the show is about this week. And I say we're back. But we're not even really gone yet. We're not even really <laughs> gone. And I'm assuming that we're probably going to be all sorts of Confucius all over this show because we're doing this in advance, but yet in the present day. So it's like, what? We're a week off before the week even comes. <sighs> all right. right, let's. I, I think it just makes sense to try to explain how this works, okay? So we knew... That the week of the seventeenth, we were not going to be able we are to record. On Hawaii. We were, we were, we were on hiatus last week. Hiatus. I thought you were going to say we were on holiday. I'm like, oh yeah, we're going to go on holiday. Awesome. We're not going on holiday. No, we were not on a holiday. So because we're talking in the past now. Right. So <laughs> today is the fifteenth, and in two days from now, we're leaving to go to Minnesota for I don't know week, two weeks. A month, a day, who knows? We'll a figure minute, it out. Hot minute, we'll just see. a minute. Who like really who knows? So that will be on Monday the seventeenth when you guys are all listening to our rerun shows that we're gonna be promoting. Because yes. so I mean we're always around. Funny. Then I know, don't worry, I just wanna explain it to people so but that like, they know. Like that week is over. Well, like, you're the one that's But I'm just saying understand. as of right now it's not over yet. So then then we will be returning with this show, which is coming out the week after the 17th. Honey, they're already but we are already recording this on the 15th. Stop. Just start over or something. You're ridiculous. No. This is what it is. Now everybody's caught up. Everybody's on the same page now, right? I guess. We're going into the future, Even but you're listening you... to the past, but it's still our future. You got it? I hate when you do this, when you take us on this little time travel that shouldn't even be a trip anyway. I think it's good to let people know that... They knew all we had to do was say we were on hiatus last week, and now you had to go and complicate what? things even further. But there's more to it than that. And then that. you wonder why I don't understand time travel. There's more to it than that, because people who are going to tune in for Roly Poly Rorty this week, there's no way they could possibly get one, because we haven't traveled to find out... The results of what could possibly be going on with Rolly I am so Rory. over this. Can we please get into what you heard if you're not going to stop the show? <laughs> oh, sweet Jesus. I I know you're just dying to get your chompers active. Go on. Do your, uh, do your thing. 
you heard comes to us from the Beacon Theater where I spent two nights with Nick Cave watching Nick Cave. That's more like it. Mama and Papa are at a music concert. That's it? That's it. That's what I overheard. (laughs) They were on the phone with their kid, right? And they're like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, Mama and Papa are at a music concert. I'll kiss you when I get home. Please don't cry. Why are you crying? And that was the father. And then the mother, and then the kid calls the mother. And she's like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'll make it up to you. I'll take you to Alice's teacup tomorrow. I'm so sorry. But we just were at a music concert. Like they were like apologizing to their kid for the fact that they had like, they were going out to a music concert. Screw that. I go out to a concert. I'm not answering my phone. If it's an emergency text. Like a peek at that and like not disturb anybody like, you know, like around me with the stupid bright light, the way it lights up. I mean, you well, hate my phone. It's because like a, you refuse to lower the light. It is like it is mm-hmm. literally a beacon. It is literally a beacon that if you stood on the shore of Long Island Sound, yeah. you would be able to like pretend to be a lighthouse. That's how bright your damn phone is. I like to relate it more towards the Luxor in Las Vegas. Like as if my phone is on, just sitting on top of that pyramid. And as you fly over Vegas, it's like on desktop's phone. It That's exactly what it is. <laughs> yeah. But if I got a text and I saw it and it'd be like, oh, why are you out? I would ignore it. And then I'd go home and be like, listen, you little bastard. You know goddamn why I'm out. You drive me crazy. I needed a break. I went out. And that's this week's You Heard. So this week's You Heard, you know, does kind of play into the theme of what this week's show is about. Well, not the end part, but the rest of it does. Well, yeah, like the, <laughs> the actual quote part. You know, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, Tom's horning in has nothing to do with anything, but that's okay. <laughs> this is usually the case, so whatever, man. Good God. So this week's You Heard, we have a very special guest. Um, his name is Graham Russell, and he is one of the two musicians in Air Supply, who you may know for hits like All Out of Love, which is just one of the you know greatest love songs ever, which is just, you know, it's such a passionate song. Yeah, if you had prom, you know, anywhere in like, you know, the 90s, chances are. In the 80s, babe. In the, even in the 90s, too. I mean, I, the song just carried over. I feel like well, it was I mean, a prom been, yeah, song for everyone since forever. They've been, yes, like they're very, 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 you know, their, their songs are very, very popular. So Graham took some time off from Air Supply, which he's still been with, you know, for more than 40 years. He has been with, um, <laughs> he's been with Russell, Russell Hitchcock since, you know, the early 70s. And they've had this great career together, this long lasting career. And he took a little departure recently to work on a musical called A Wall Apart. It's a rock musical that is about three brothers in East Berlin, mm-hmm. you know, as the wall is, you know, they're facing each other as the Berlin Wall is dividing their city. You know, one is an officer, another is an artist, and the third is kind of caught in the middle. And this tells the tale through 16 songs that Graham wrote. And it just, you know, tells the story of these brothers. And the play is actually, or the musical is actually playing at the New York Musical Festival, which is this annual event that showcases all of these, you know, potential musicals that are looking for backing so that they can be, you know, performed for real on Broadway or, you know, any other kind of, you know, stem from Broadway, whether it's New Haven or taken out on the road to kind of like, you know, get the kinks out and and everything like that. So we actually had a conversation. I had a very lovely conversation conversation with Sir Graham Russell as I sat in Trinity Cemetery because our conference room at work was booked. So I could <laughs> so when I took my lunch, I had to do it outside in Trinity Cemetery on Wall Street, which was just a lovely setting for a con- like it was just it's such a beautiful cemetery. It's one it's, of my favorite yes. places in the city. It's not like a creepy cemetery no, no, that no, you're no. going it's, to and it's one of the oldest 
it's it's the oldest church in the city i believe it was built in like the 1600s by like the first settlers of manhattan and then it burned down and then it was rebuilt in the current church was built in like you know the the late 1600s and it's still standing and you could go there and there's always tourists but it's just like this lovely little haven and I, I often like go there on my lunch and just like walk around so I was like you know what this is going to be just the perfect spot to do this conversation which is good because usually when you're like you know when you don't have a place to do an interview it's we do it we panic yeah. we panic the fuck out man yeah, it's it, like it's catastrophic when both of your like both of your um you know your conference rooms are booked and like there's no safe spot to do it so i was like i'm gonna take my chances and as i was sitting down of course being new york there were sirens all over the place and then they luckily stayed away for the duration of the call so very nice let's roll that fabulous bean footage all Hi, Nikki. How are you? Hi, good. How are you today? Fantastic. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for speaking to the High Regard Show. We're very excited to have you on and to talk about oh, the Wall of Art. Oh, thank you. It's very kind of you. Thanks. And can you tell me a little bit about how, you know, a Wall of Art came about? Well, uh, the, the bass player in Air Supply uh, had this friend that he was trying to get me to meet. Um, and his name was Sam Goldstein, and he was, uh, Sam is a, a neuroscientist, but, and he's written like 50 books uh, on oh that gosh. subject. Yeah, it is. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> finally, Sam and I met in the, the Delta Lounge of Salt Lake City Airport, and he, he asked a question for me. He said, would I be interested in writing music for something, uh, an idea he had about a, a musical? So he told me what the story was, and I became very uh, interested straight away because of the time that the musical sure. was taking taking place. I, you know, because I grew up in the 60s, and I thought, oh wow, that would be great writing music, you know, kind of 60s style. I thought that would be right. a great challenge. Yeah. So I became very into the story straight away. Awesome. And you know, when you approached writing music for it, you know, did it? How did that differ? You know, does it differ when you're writing for yourself and air supply versus you know when you're writing for a play? Yeah, it's totally different. You know, obviously, you know, each song in a musical has to it tells the story, but I right. I like I like a song to stand on its own two feet if it's in a, a musical or not. You know, so I wanted to make sure that that these songs were individual as well as part of the collective and that was very important to me that anyone could sing any one of the songs without right. knowing anything about the story and it would hold up and that was that's what I wanted to do and I think we've achieved that and how you know how did you you know kind of mix up your process in doing that well it's funny because Sam told me he gave me like a two-page synopsis of the story and said well is a, a love story, and uh, but the two people involved are on opposite sides of the wall, and I really found that kind of fascinating. Right. Uh, I thought, hmm, okay, that creates uh, a great tension between them. You know, one's in the east and one's in the west. But right. I started, I started to write for it straight away because I knew roughly what the story was going to be, and then I, I ended up being in front of Sam, I pour him every couple of days and say, well, I think I've got that, the song for this scene and for that scene. And so it was like that. And so it was a, a great process. So slowly. Awesome. And how long, you know, was it in the works before, you know, you reached this point where it's going to be at the New York Musical Festival? Um, well, we did, a, we did a, a small reading two years ago in Salt Lake City, actually. Oh, wow. Yeah, and uh, I don't think anyone has ever had ever done a, a reading for musical in Salt Lake before. But we, we wanted to do it there, and we did it, and it was very successful for us, in as much as we heard all the music and the actors read the script and the dialogue, so we could at least see it and and then get into it and do the rewrites and what we needed to do. But that was two years ago. Uh, right. Yeah, so here we are now, you know. Uh, down the line and we're doing having our first 
New York uh, opening, which is, uh, I think that's kind of rather quick from what I'm gathering, you know, I've been told yeah. about musicals. Yeah. Definitely. And, you know, the central focus of the show, you know, which kind of questions love versus power, freedom yeah. versus censorship, you know, et cetera, it seems so similar, eerily similar, actually, to what Americans are currently facing. You know, does yeah. the climate of America kind of inform how you approach the show? Well, you know, none of the, because the show was written two years ago, none of the political uh, right. uh, surroundings that we have now were, were in place then. And it's bizarre <laughs> how how it's fitting in now. It's like amazing with the war. I mean, two years ago, I don't know if President Trump was talking about the war at all, but now it's the wall and mistrust and, uh, you know, threat, threatening to be a dictator, a dictator you know. Uh, right. it's like, and it's funny because people that know the story of a wall apart, they do say that. They say, God, how, how did you make it so current? But the, the truth <laughs> is, we didn't, you know, it just came to us and it's what's happening right. now. And it's bizarre. It's bizarre. It is very much is. That's like the, I think the best way that we can all come back sum up what's going on right now. Um, yeah. Do you have a favorite song among the 16 that are in the show? Uh, you know, I I do. I'm, <laughs> I'm very into a song called For Long, For All Time, which is a bit of a tongue twister. And some of it's sung in German. Uh, but it's, it's a beautiful song, and I heard it today with the ensemble for the first time, and it was very, very moving. There was a couple of people in there that were uh, shedding tears, you know, which is a good sign, right. I think. But, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's my favorite at the moment. Awesome. And, you know, when you found out that it was going to be part of the New York Musical Festival, you know, what was that, you know, what what did you think when you heard that? I was overwhelmed, you know, because suddenly uh, things are, are becoming real. Right. Uh, uh, and in a short space of time, and I think, you know, when I found out it was going to be in there, I found out, oh, okay, then this is this is for real. You know? <laughs> it's not like a, it's not a maybe or a pretend anymore. We we have a show and we're going to put right. it on. So it's just a great thrill, especially for me because, you know, I'm a I'm a rock and roll person. Right. I've been in a, you know, for 42 years I've been in a rock and roll band. So this is a great uh, extension for me, and, and I'm loving every minute of it. Awesome. And, you know, it is before you had these 40-some years in rock and roll, you mm. got your start in the industry with Jesus Christ Superstar. So, yeah. you know, you're kind of, you've kind of come full circle. What do you remember most about your first meeting with Russell Hitchcock? Oh, well, I can remember everything about it, you know, because my my whole life changed. Uh, when I heard the whole company sing and I, and I heard this guy that was sat next to me, who I hadn't met, and he just blew me away. His voice, I'd never heard anything like it. And, of course, it was Russell. Um, then he sat next to me, and we sat next to each other in the chorus room, so we became great friends very quickly. And um, it was it was the voice that just stood out to me, and I thought, oh, my God, I have to, I have to uh, work with that guy because his voice is just amazing. So I'd written already written a lot of songs at that point, right. but I never I never considered myself a, a lead singer and I still don't. You know, I'm not a lead singer; I'm a songwriter. <laughs> well, I think a lot of your fans would disagree with that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I don't know. <laughs> so, what would you say the lasting success, uh, you know, the, with you guys is? You know, what would you say is the key to that? Well, it's a question a lot of people ask us, but the answer is. I think it's a, a few things, you know, I, I mean, Russell's voice is so unique. I always thought we made great records, mm -hmm. and I always thought we had great songs. And it's those three things that have, uh, that have kept us where we are, I think. Right. But, you know, we love to do what we do. And the great thing about Air Supply is Russell doesn't want to write songs, and I don't want to be the lead singer. So my role was totally different than his. <laughs> right. And and he leaves he lets me, you know, uh, create the albums and write the songs. And he Russell just wants to come in and sing and that's exactly what he does. So it's a great 
business relationship. It's a great working relationship, and we've never we've never argued ever in forty-two years. You know. Oh my God! I got yeah. not many bands can say that. Oh, I know. Yeah, <laughs> we have we have a great relationship. He, he he just lets me run the ship, but then he comes in and he decides what he wants to sing, and he just comes in the studio and he sings it. You know, and yeah. he he blows me away still every time he comes in to do it. You know. Wonderful. That's so magic. I love that. I love hearing that. That's great. Oh, and, yeah. Thank you. And, you know, obviously Air Supply is known for a slew of top ten hits, and yeah. your music has touched so many people. Is there a particular song that you just hold dear to you? Well, for me, it's got to be All Out of Love, because it's been such a, a great song for us. You know, it's been one of the anchors in our career, and... You know, we always close our show with it. Uh, we've, we've been very lucky to have so many hit songs, but that song, you know, I, I must have sung it you know, 5,000 times. But I tell you, every time I sing at night, it just means even more to me every every night when I sing it. It's because I see the people's faces, people are crying, because it means so much to them, you know, and it means so much to me because of that reason. It's a, you know, it's just one of those songs that, if there's a song, if somebody doesn't know who Air Supply is, and I can't imagine that, you say, and you start singing all out of it, they go, oh, those, those guys. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, now maybe, you know, they're going to think of you when they think of a, a wall of hearts, you know? <laughs> I hope so. I mean, I'm, I'm looking forward to that, but, it, you know, it, it's a long road yet. It's, it's just beginning. But uh, I do hope that we're able to go down that path and, and create something really magical for people, you know. So what would be the next step after the festival for a lot of artists? Well, what we're hoping is uh, somebody sees it, produces or somebody sees it uh, and wants to invest in it and put it on somewhere, you know, because, uh, you know, I think it's a great show. I'm hoping, we're all hoping that it goes from here to maybe somewhere, you know, who knows, Connecticut or San Diego or somewhere. And we put it on for three months or six months and get the wrinkles out. And then who knows what after that. Um, well, I wish you the best of luck with that because it sounds like an amazing story. And I can't wait to see it. Oh, thank you very much, Nikki. And thank you for your time. It's been lovely speaking with you. Same, sir. Thank you so much. Enjoy your time in New York. I will indeed. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. So how are we doing? I think we're doing good. All right. <laughs> so it was just, he was such a sweetheart. Like, it was really nice to talk to him. You know, because I, of course, knew Air Supply from the time I was a little kid. My dad used to play their records all the time when I was little. Like, he had every album, and he would play them on, like, the, the big, like, back when, like, the record players were in those big, like, entertainment units that, like, like were, like, pieces of furniture, you know? And he would just play that, and I just remember being, like oh my gosh, like it just like the melodies and the harmonies that they had together. I just, I always loved this. So I really jumped at the chance to talk to him about this play because it seemed, it's so timely, you know, this division and, you know, people like the bonds of these brothers are being tested by their beliefs and by politics and the government. And it's so timely for what's happening right now. Definitely. And everyone heard air supply if you know if you were an adult in an, or even a kid in the 90s and before and before because yeah. you couldn't turn on a radio like seriously man like radio ruled the world at one point it's strange to think that kids coming up today don't really have, no have radio like yeah. they don't get it you know because you go in your car now you plug in your ipod and you listen to whatever music you know that you decided that you liked however long ago. And I feel like people aren't growing as much musically anymore. They like have their little niche. They download those bands. That's what they listen mm -hmm. to. And that's it. Yeah. But I mean, radio was so important for like, just kind of opening your horizons to things that you wouldn't usually listen to or might not seek out. And air supply was one of those bands, man, that just kept coming up no matter what. And because they're considered, soft rock mm -hmm. is what they consider singer song but like they're more singer songwriter 
But they would make it on BAB. I mean, you know, which is like a Long Island, you know, classic rock. Now it's called the classic rock station. <laughs> Back then it was, then just, it was just a yeah. rock station. <laughs> so, I mean, they would make it on that. They would make it on, you know, BLI, which was more of the light listening type of thing. I mean, for a band to be able to cross that, you know, that level of... Uh, of a fanship. Right. Is to cross the genres really. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. so impressive to be able to do something like that. Yeah, and they've had, you know, eight top 10 hits in the US and mm-hmm. you know in the early 80s and it's just it like lost in love, like it's just been you know, they've been around for so long that it's kind of just it's really and it's neat to see that they're still together. He you know, like Graham said, they he's never had a fight that they the two of them, like you never hear that. I mean I'm gonna call bullshit. Everyone has a fight at some point in time. <laughs> but maybe that I mean he he seems pretty even keel. I'm sure that there were times where, you know, maybe in a studio or something, but I think what worked for them was exactly what, you know, Graham said that like he he and Russell both have their roles. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you know, no, I he's get that the, part. He was the writer and guitarist, and Russell was a singer. So, like, I think that like there were no egos because one couldn't work without the other. And I think they both kind of knew that. You know what I mean? That like one preferred not to be the lead. Like he, like Graham said, like he prefers not to be like at the forefront. You know what I mean? And right. I think. That's not something that like a lot of people can do. I mean, you you look at some of the great duos of the past that are just as great as Air Supply and like you see how like contentious things were between the two people. Well, those bands don't even exist anymore. As I was trying to do the research before the show, just going down like around the time and what was happening and stuff like that. And like you're not seeing Toto on tour or Asia or, you know, any of those other bands that were like musically similar to them like they just aren't there where i feel like they have i feel like you you make it so long that that's just what it's going to be forever right and you know and the bands that do because i mean asia is still touring but it's not the asia or right you know it's 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 so many inclinate like you're like 10 15 inclinations deep at this point right right. well that's that's what i'm saying you really can't call it it's like when you go see yes you can't say I'm going to see Yes, you could say, I'm going to see this version of Yes. Right, exactly. And you might go one year and it might be 15 people in the band and you can go to next year and it could be four people in the <laughs> yeah. band. And it's still Yes. I don't get how that works out. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm looking just like, you know, I'm just looking at my computer right now and soft rock, like the subgenre of soft soft rock was kind of changed in the 2000s. It was called Yacht Rock. As oh. kind of like a catch-all, and I never saw that before. Yacht rock? Yacht, like as in like... Like a boot? Like a ship, a, sh- a vessel. A like ship, a brute? Like a schooner, <laughs> like a very big schooner. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, like a wall apart just sounds, you know, like a really, really cool idea, you know, and just... Because like that's, that's fascinating to me that like this wall was put up. Is it really? Because I feel like we're going to put I mean, up a wall yeah, of our like own. I, I mean, exactly. Like, And it's just fascinating, like, but... It's a wall between a city. Like, I understand, like, a, like, I don't understand, but, like, you can understand, like, that there's a wall of a border between countries or states or something like that, that there's, like, some kind of marker, not, like, one to just keep people out or make it clear so that, you know, you could see the bags of heroin that the president thinks are going to be dropping yeah. from people. Let's hope. <laughs> Honestly, I might be going, I might need I'll, to go to Tejas. <laughs> I'm just going to stand on the other side of the wall to hope to get hit by a 60-pound bag of heroin. That would be a nicer way to go. Can you make it weed? instead yeah, please <laughs> a 60 pound bag of weed yeah, i might need to find myself it's, going there it's gonna be 60 pounds of tequila bottles hit you in the head <laughs> it's not gonna be as easy as you think sorry kid <laughs> but um a wall apart is going to be playing at the acorn theater on theater row um it's going to be playing from on tuesday july 25th july 26th 28th 29th 30th um, two and two thirtieth shows as part of the New York Musical Festival, and wow. you should definitely, definitely check it out. Um, you could visit awallapart.com to find out more. Yes, and you can also visit nymf.org to find out more about the New York Musical Festival. Very nice. Very, Very nice. nice. You see, that's a show that I would actually 
want to go to if I had the ability to leave the house. Because, and here's my reasoning why, there are certain bands that, like we just said, that everybody knows. And you, it kind of just makes sense to just kind of catch them while you can. Because nothing's going to last forever. So just to be able to go out and see them and have that chance is a good thing. Right, or see them in a different way. Because obviously, you know, this isn't air supply. Right, it's not air supply, but... So it's like, it's a ni- It's nice to see someone that you, you know, you is so visible and so recognizable whose music, you know, ha- may have touched you at some point. To see them do something completely different and keeping their, you know, creative juices flowing, which I think it's always awesome to, to see somebody branching out and doing something that's different. You know, and it, but it's not that different because Graham did get his start, you know, in theater. Like, that's where he met Russell as, you know, part of Jesus Christ Superstar. So it's kind of neat that this comes full circle for him. Yeah. Very, very cool. Yes. And I mean, and God, man, we are on a whirlwind tour of just learning about, like, musicians branching out and doing, like, just unbelievable shit that you would never even think of. Are you talking about the documentary that we just like ate the hell up? Yes. And it is to the point now where it is an unhealthy obsession because it's pretty much all I can think about. Yeah, I can't stop thinking about it either. And if you have not seen it, but you have HBO... And even if you don't have HBO, you can get a free trial. Game of Thrones is coming back on, people. Yeah, Just you get the free trial. Up. Game of Thrones is least. back by the time this show is coming. Oh, yeah, I forgot. <laughs> okay, so the second episode is Game of Thrones. Can you believe this? What happened? Can you believe what happened? All right, here's a spoiler. <laughs> Everybody dies. Everybody's dead at episode number two. Nikki cried it. through the whole thing. No. Nikki cried through the whole thing. Jon Snow was the first to go. <laughs> <laughs> And Daenerys, who everybody thought was going to be queen, wasn't. Cersei still rules. End of. That's it. That's it. The dragons ate everybody. <laughs> yeah, <pretty much. laughs> and still no White Walkers. We're still waiting. <laughs> this is what's happening on Game of Thrones right now. I'm predicting. So we um, happened upon the Defiant Ones. And the first time I saw the commercial for it, I was like, I want to see this as soon as it comes out. I don't even know anything about it. And you're like, like, we saw it and I was like, what is this about? I was like, we got to watch it. We got to watch it. And when you asked me what it was about, I'm like, "Mm, you know what? I'm not really sure. I just see the people who they're interviewing and they are so vast in their like music genres that... It just doesn't make sense how this is going to fit together. I 100% have to see this and find out how the hell this happened. Yeah, it was. It, it, so it's The Defiant Ones. It's on Homebox, as yes. I like to say. And it is basically about these two, this journey that starts with the beginnings of NWA and like Dr. Dre, Cube, Easy, you know who I can all call that because I'm friendly with them, obviously. <laughs> And then it slices in with, like, Jimmy Iovine. On the East Coast, yeah. Yeah. And Jimmy's, I think, on the East Coast at the time. Yeah, he's in New York. He's just, like, you know, Brooklyn, Italian New Yorker who's, you know, lives up to any stereotype of a Brooklyn, Italian, Catholic New Yorker. (laughs) And it's just fascinating how it tells the tales, like, these interweaving, you know, like, they're, they're parallels. And just like these stories about how like there's these two separate stories and then how these two just completely different types of music, types of... Two different codes yeah, and two, somehow and they two just cultures come ha- together. How they combine and how they change the goddamn world as you know it in yeah. so many different ways. And seriously, like I've told you a million times, the Beatles changed music Forever. Forever. Like, they are the ones who basically, you know, made radio what it was. Exactly. And and anybody who ever says anything different is completely wrong. Because nothing before... I mean, you've had... You know, you you had the Robert Johnsons. You had the Elvis Presleys. And, you know, all those other amazing, amazing musicians. But it was the Beatles who broke the world. Yep. And, and then I everything came back. Yeah. First mission basically as like a producer 
is somewhat involved with that. I don't yes, want to give anything away. I don't want to give anything away. But, you know, he's success here. NWA is success there. These things mesh. And you think like, man, it changed music. And I don't care if, you know, if you're not like a fan of rap or if you're not a fan of rock. I mean, because it has both in it, you'll like one of those two things mm-hmm. most likely. Or even just you'll you'll enjoy the look back. Because one of the things like that we were talking about after, because like as soon as the show ended, we immediately turned to each other and we're like, okay, we got to process this. Yeah. Because like if we could have watched all four episodes together, like at the same time, like binged it, I think we could have. But unfortunately, like we discovered it during a work week, so yeah. it was just like shit. Like we couldn't watch all of it, and like, and I would sit at work and just be like haunted by like thoughts of, you know, what was going on and stuff. And it's just like it was just so fascinating, but like. You know, obviously, I am white. I am pretty much as lily white as you could get. Like my up, my upbringing, the with play- the exception of your Italian blood, because you know what? what you you know. have it too, so shut up. I got well, yeah, all right. You got you're all Italian. I'm only half Italian, so I got like a little anyway, a little bit anyway. But you know, so I grew up in a very very white, and it wasn't like I didn't realize how different you know where I grew up was until I moved here, and it's just like <laughs> holy shit, like I had a really oh, sheltered upbringing. Is this what people were talking about? <laughs> <laughs> this is what life is like outside of white America. <laughs> but so it's just like you know, I remember loving Snoop. I loved like I loved Snoop. I loved Ice Cube. You know like public enemy and things like that like back when I was in high school because you know all of these like Snoop broke when I was in like I was like a junior I think like a sophomore junior senior like I was so into like dog pound and like all that stuff and it was just like how did that music get from like the streets of Compton which are about as far away on the spectrum from where I was like that was like we were both on the completely opposite ends of the spectrum so it was just like so interesting that like that music and that life was like bled into other places like where I grew up in Pennsylvania. Without airplay. Without, you know, without a lot of airplane. Like I can't for the life of me remember why I listened to them, how I got into them. I just remember that like my friends and I would cruise around town and we would just be like singing like Snoop Dogg and singing Dre and shit. And it's just like, like... And I wish that I could remember that first. Like, I remember when I was introduced to Led Zeppelin by friends. I can remember Poison, Discovering Poison, which was, like, my first favorite band. I remember everything except for, like, this. Like, it was just always, like, just what we did. It crept in. And I think maybe part of it is because it was, like, kind of, like, so taboo to be listening to gangster rap like especially like in your area yeah. like in yeah. new york it's kind of like all right well, i can yeah. just i pass yeah. by on the streets and you can hear people with boom boxes on their bicycles blaring right. it out we it's like all right that, that makes sense when i was in high school there were only two black kids in my school and they were twins and they were like <laughs> and you know we didn't see them as you know oh my god there's two black kids but like there were only two black kids in my school and they were they were awesome and like we just we never looked at them as if they were different we were just like you know but when you look back you're like holy shit like what that must have been like for them being in an area like that you know what i mean oh yeah and but then you know up comes prom and all of a sudden people are requesting you know like nwa songs and shit <laughs> like that and, and everybody knows it and you're like have to think back like we were talking about it when and over it's like going how how did they get to be so popular? They could not be played on the radio. Not NWA couldn't be played on the radio. And most of the bands that, you know, Iveen was going after with Indiscope Records were all, and and like Out they say of, it. Like way left to center. <laughs> yeah. And it was kind of like, you know, I, I don't want to say what bands were signed because as we're watching it, I swear, as it got deeper and deeper and it was like, they would say, we signed this person. And it's like going, all right, well, they're part of the rap community. So that makes sense that, you know, like NWA would like, you know, get like Snoop signed and stuff like that. Um, But then... There were just these other bands that came along. Right, when when Iveen and Dre got together, it seemed like they just started going around and saying like, we don't want the normal stuff. 
the world's gonna change. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, they had an interview with, they had, an, I'll just say, they had an interview with Bono in the very beginning of like one of the episodes. Mm-hmm. And he was like, you know, you know, Jimmy comes off as a really nice guy, but underneath it all, it's just like violence and blood and bones, and that's what he wants to get through. He's like just raw and primal and no joke, man. Because when you look at the stuff that he was producing, just just from forget about like just violence and stuff like that. Just stage shows, even like the people that he was doing, it was like even now to this day, they were larger than life personalities. Like, yeah, it was people that he sensed something. Like he just he saw something in them that he kind of recognized in himself. That like it was a hunger, like and that's what he has. Like he couldn't make music as a musician. Like he could hear music and knew what ta- what sounded good, and that's something that doesn't come along very often. Like, and and Dre is the same way. And I never knew so many things about him that way. That like how in like how in depth to the music that he went. I mean the studios that he has in his home because. And I can't imagine, you know, what it must be like for the wives of these guys because their life, they're not married to women. They're married to the music. Well, managers. Yeah, they're, they're married to, to manage. Their wives were basically the managers of their lives. Right, basically. but I'm just saying, like, it's just there's that like they have the the connection that they have to their music is the real love of their life and while they i'm sure they love their wives and everything like that it's just like there's that part of them that is never going to be wholly theirs because you know when like there's there's a scene where like dre's wife calls him and she he's like you know i'm at the beach i'm going i'm we're just gonna go like cut some cut some songs and it's like it's like you know late at night and like i can't imagine what like and i i support like all creative ventures that like you have and like the things that you do when you when your mind like wakes and you're like i need to do this and stuff but i can't imagine like having such a huge part of you not being accessible to me like cuz we're in the same field so like but i think that's the difference too like i don't know what Dre's wife does or what Jimmy's right, wife yeah. did. But I mean, if they were a music, perhaps they would have been would be able more to like, involved. be part of it. Yeah. But it's hard, like just dealing with a non-creative person, if you're a creative yeah, person, because absolutely. your mind just don't work the same no. way. So, I mean, I feel like just normal people, their lives are so formulaic yeah. where creative people are just so outside the lines and you try to, there's always going to be some kind of like struggle with you know, those formulaic people trying to keep you within the lines and those not, people yeah. who draw outside the lines are like, this is the way it fucking is. You exactly. can either come out or go away. Exactly. <laughs> and, you know, I'm not like, what I'm about to say is not like giving anything away, but like at the end of the documentary, everyone who like was part of it, like there's certain things that they say and it's just like, the thing that like I took away the most is like, if you believe in something, go for it. It was, and it was so inspirational. We said abstract was inspirational when we saw that documentary on Mm -hmm. Netflix a few months back. This blows that away. Like, just to think, like, NWA had nothing. Like, you know, if you're an art, you go to art school and then you can, like, graduate and then create these incredible things that people haven't thought of before. I mean, that's inspiring, but to come from the streets with no training, no nothing, no chance, the majority of people are either going to get shot, they're going to get right. overdosed, they're going to they're turn to a life crime because that's all there is around them. I mean, you know, they were showing video of back when this whole thing was starting and, you know, Compton was on fire yeah. like like Compton was a literal it was war a war zone, zone. Yep. yeah absolutely it totally was so to come out of that is like a miracle that anything came and out to of be that. able to be creative in that type of environment you know like I felt like I was I always felt like I was creative at home but like here I feel like creativity got kicked up a notch because of just how diverse the experiences of life are you know so it's like it's so it was so interesting that like the this group of guys got together with the same common thought 
and how they were smart enough to see how the world was going to go before it went there. Like the way, like they get into how like easy said, we need to do this because then they're going to be like, they're then that's going to open up the door for us. Like we can't focus just on us. We have to focus on other things because you have to ease people into it. And then they blew them the fuck away, which was so like, it was just such a good, Oh my God, it was awesome. And the risks they took insane. And I don't think this is giving anything away. Cause I think this is common knowledge for most people, but to Dre had to go into, you know, in jail mm-hmm. every Friday night and he would stay until Sunday. Then he'd be out, I guess, you know, for release Monday through that next Friday night. And um, that's when I would do most of the writing of the songs. And, you know, they came up with Fuck the Police right before he had to go back into jail yeah, on a Friday night. Because and it's like, Ice Cube what? was pissed. Like, Ice Cube wrote that song and he was pissed because Dre was always in jail. And when... Dre was in jail that meant that they weren't going out and doing stuff like fun stuff going to the clubs and like because Dre was kind of like this like king among men and he was like the life of the party and he got them everywhere like they needed to go and then like they would all like he was really like the band leader because he was the producer and all that stuff and then Dre was just like fuck the police because they're ruining my weekend (laughs) like (laughs) so it was just like and that's where that came out of and then it just became a cultural it was an anthem yeah of course like i was gonna say a beacon yeah but like it was a total anthem of what life was really like for the people of compton but could you imagine writing fuck the police on like a thursday going back to jail on yeah, a friday exactly. and having to stay there a weekend knowing that ah shit like i don't know if it was the best decision yeah. and there was pushback like dre even said like he was there thinking about is- not doing the song he was like going man i got you guys want to do this song yeah. i gotta go back to jail like in a couple of days yeah. like what are you thinking yeah and it's still i mean it to this day it's still you know a hot hot point song i mean well, you were saying that you know just on the news the other day yeah that that you know there was an nypd officer who was killed in the line of duty um as in the bronx and a kid who lived near where the funeral was being held was blasting fuck the police on repeat while there were 25,000 more than 25,000 police from all over the world who came to new york city to go to this officer's funeral and the stories that i read were like and 30 cops burst upon the apartment because the kid had um you know said that his brother and friends had gotten shot by cops you know for no reason and whatever and you know which through, is probably which could be which could, could be. be true um some of the stories you know found sources that the kid gave them the names and it wasn't they they didn't find any record of any shootings or anything with kids of those with those names and stuff so i mean it still is something that's used but like at a funeral of a cop it's like wow (laughs) but you know it's weird i think over time it changes like i think like you know hearing dre explain like how that song came about and launched a career of so many people not even rappers just Man, watch it because the people that show up in it, you're going to be like, what the hell, it's man? It's just, yeah. Like, how are they related to this group? Or how are they related to, you know, Jimmy Ivan or whatever? Iovine. Uh, like, how are they all, like, how do I they mean. mesh? And then it's just a bunch of people who were just like, I'm going to take a chance on this. Exactly. And it's pe- And it didn't matter the color of the skin. It didn't matter the genre of music. It was like, you have a voice and you have something that's worth listening to and you believe in yourself and you're willing to do what it takes. And the thing that I love too is that like he just kept pushing his artists. Like all of the artists are just like, he kept saying like, okay, great. Like I want six more songs like this. Yep. And it's like, and sure as shit, the ones who wanted it bad enough did that and they're the names that are that we're still talking about today unbelievable names and uh, you know uh, the dre thing man going back to that when he explains it he was like this is a song that had to be made you know to, to open a door for people but it seems like now he looks at that song as like a gateway like like, like it was an, an opening mm-hmm. where you know, I feel like people who are hearing that song for the first time, 
get a different feeling from it. It's like going, oh, it's controversial. And people who've known it but not as long might be saying, you know, like, this is how I feel. It talks to me. So, I mean, depending on where you're at, like, it, it, it has a story to it that changes as you progress in age. Of course. Well, I'm glad. I agree. Like, I couldn't <laughs> put it better myself. All right, sassy lassie. Um <laughs> So there we have it. Bark, bark. So <laughs> oh, the dog pounds here. So seriously, check out the Defiant Ones. Awesome, awesome yeah. documentary. And this week, we're not going to have a Roly Poly Rorty. What? I, I know. Do we need to explain this again? I don't think so, but I think like I can do it. Like if you let me do, give the Cliff Notes version. But just tell people it's the week of the seventeenth. Okay, we were on hiatus last week because we were at the Mayo Clinic and we did this show in advance, so we don't really have anything to talk about, but you can check our social media. We'll keep you updated on that. I'm just trying okay. to get <laughs> Enough of it already. Man, you made me explain this thing three times at the start of the show, and now here we are at the end of the show, and you have to explain it. Because you're going to go off on a tangent. I know it. Uh, my lips are buttoned. Okay, then let's... Well, uh, let's what? What are we doing? We're wrapping it up. Yeah. We're wrapping it up. Hey, if you want to reach out to us, why don't you drop us a line or an email? People don't drop lines no more. When's the last time you got a phone call that wasn't from a bill collector? You could send us an email at... (laughs) Are you talking to me or are you talking to like the people listening? I feel like everybody who listens to us is probably kind of in the same boat. (laughs) You kind of avoid unknown callers. (laughs) Yeah, like seriously. Like if you're on the lower of middle income, like you're probably getting to get an 800 or an 888 number. But anyway, you can reach us at highregardshow at gmail.com. And we will not, like, punish you for any of your finances. Or you could check out our website at highregardshow.com. You can also find us on social media as High Regard Show. And we will be giving, you know, what updates we can of Tom's progress. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Oh, good for you, man. (laughs) Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Good night, everybody. Next week, we'll probably be back live and we'll get this all sorted out. But until then, sayonara. And save me. Good night. Good night. Good night. Cut that part out. Yeah. The shitty part. Promise.